Merry Christmas. I hope that you got everything on your Christmas list, okay? And maybe that means that you were on the nice list and not the naughty list this year, okay? Now, seriously, our oldest, Jake, he'll be 12 in February. There was one thing on the top of his Christmas list, and for most of you, you'll never guess what an almost 12-year-old wanted most for Christmas. And he got it today. He got it. A big box full of socks. That's what he wanted. A big box full of socks. You should have seen him this morning when he opened his box full of socks. Yes, socks! You know, so I thought that was only when we got older we wanted socks for Christmas. But I heard about a, a kid who turned 16 and he talked to his dad and he said, Dad, I really want a car for Christmas. That's really what I want. His dad said, well, that's a big, that's a big gift. That's a big present. He said, you know, you're going to have to keep your grades up. You're going to have to be faithful in your studies. You're going to have to be courteous. You're going to have to be respectful. You're going to have to, to make sure you do everything you're supposed to do. You're, you're also going to have to cut your hair. Your hair's getting a little too long. I want you to cut your hair. And uh, we'll see Christmas time. So this little guy, man, he, 16 years old, all year long, straight A's. All year long, courteous and respectful. All year long, studying his Bible and, and doing what his mom and dad said. Everybody was incredibly impressed. But one thing, he didn't cut his hair. His hair grew longer all year long. He came to his dad around Christmas time and said, Dad, I really, I really want that car. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've made the grades all A's. I've, I've been obedient. I've been, I've been courteous and respectful to you and to mom. I've done all my chores. I've gone above and beyond. Dad said, yes, son, but you... You still hadn't cut your hair. He said, well, Dad, as I've been studying the Bible, and I've really studied the Bible a lot this year, I've noticed that Samson and Moses and Jesus, they all had long hair, so I figured it was okay. And Dad said, yeah, but I noticed they walked everywhere they went too, right? <laughs> I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And this is a unique message for Christmas, a unique passage. We looked last night at Luke chapter 2, and many of you were here last night. Thank you for coming to our very first Christmas Eve service. It was awesome. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did, and I'm grateful uh, that so many guests came from our community last night as well. This morning, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, and I want to ask this question, what is Christmas all about? What is Christmas all about because believe it or not Christmas is more than just what happened that night Jesus was born there's more to the story you have to understand the purpose of his birth we, we all know of course that Christmas is not all about Santa Claus it's not all about Christmas trees it's not all about ornaments or stockings or lights and decorations and of course if I were to ask you here at church the proper church answer is Christmas is all about Jesus right it's all about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ this is the most important moment in history when God became flesh John chapter 1 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory Glory is of the only begotten Son of God. He was full of grace and truth. This is the Son of God and God the Son, the one and only Lord Jesus Christ. Our calendars worldwide are split based upon His coming. But when we say that Christmas is all about the birth of Christ, that's really only part of the answer. There's more to it than that. Christmas is about the birth of Christ, but we have to understand His purpose in coming. Not just that He was born, but why 
he was born. This implies his purpose of being born and the process whereby God would bring redemption to mankind. This was no ordinary baby. This was no ordinary birth. This was no ordinary mom. This was no ordinary dad. This was no ordinary night when Christ himself would come in order to provide redemption to all mankind. This is the message of the hope of Christmas. This is not a familiar Christmas passage, Philippians 2, chapter 5, or chapter 2, and verses 5 through 11. I don't know if I've ever heard a Christmas sermon out of Philippians chapter 2. But this passage contains the real truth about Christmas. And let's take a moment and read Philippians 2, and we'll begin in verse 5, and we'll read to verse 11. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's what happened at Christmas. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember the powers in the Word of God. Join me as we pray. Lord, thank you for your Word and thank you that this passage teaches us not just that Jesus came, but why He came. His purpose in coming to bring redemption to mankind. Help us on this day and every day to recognize the King and Lord of all. And we pray this in His name. Amen. Well, what is Christmas all about? Certainly it's about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could tell the story about the wise men and the shepherds. And we could tell the story about the star over the manger in Bethlehem. We could tell all sorts of stories about Christmas. And we could prepare for all sorts of of decorations and all sorts of traditions that we have. But in the end, I want us to understand, most importantly, that Christmas was about God's eternal plan of redemption. And the birth of Christ wasn't the end, but it was merely a part of what God was doing to bring redemption to man. In fact, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, God promised that a Savior would come, a Messiah would be born. Throughout the Old Testament, you can see prophecy after prophecy and prediction after prediction coming true in the form of this little baby, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us the Messiah will be a son. Listen to what Isaiah says, unto us a child is born. Look at this though, unto us a son is given. Do you understand what it says? The child is born. That speaks of his humanity. The son is given. In other words, that speaks of his eternity, that he is eternal God. The Bible tells us in Micah that this Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. He'll be born in the city of David. It's interesting as you look throughout the Old Testament, the promises of God, God's plan of redemption starting all the way back in Genesis and you can trace it all the way through Revelation. And Philippians chapter 2 is a key piece, a cornerstone passage in understanding God's plan of redemption. First of all, notice His birth, the incarnation. His birth, this is the incarnation. That's an important word, the incarnation. Now, some of you, when you hear that word, you might think of carnation instant breakfast. That's not what it's talking about. 
The incarnation means incarnate, God in flesh. It means that Jesus Christ came. He took on human flesh. He became a human being. He was born of a virgin. Why did God come in the form of a baby? Now this is important. Notice the humility of Jesus. Luke chapter 10 and verses 1 to 7 tells us the story of Christ coming to earth. And do you understand it is an unassuming, quiet birth announced to a small group of people, this baby born. An angel announces it to the shepherds who are keeping watch over their flock by night. Isn't it interesting that the shepherds were the first to hear of the birth of the Messiah? You know, nothing happens in the Bible by accident. Do you understand that? Why would God send His angel to the shepherds and not to the palace? Why would He send His angel to announce the birth to the shepherds and not to the synagogue? Why would the shepherds be the first to hear? Well, it's no accident. It has a purpose. Maybe it was to say there's a new lamb born. A lamb born. That was slain before the foundation of the world. A lamb unlike any other. He will be the sacrifice to atone for sin. Maybe it was to say that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd has now taken upon human flesh and he has been born. And the chief shepherd has arrived in a stable and he, the good shepherd, will lay down his life. For a sheep. You see, nothing happens in the Bible by accident. The humility of Jesus. He was born. Can you imagine? Now think about this. The Lord and God of all creation, the Son of God, confined Himself to His mother's womb for nine months. The humility of Jesus Christ. His willingness to come and sacrifice, that in and of itself is a sacrifice for the Lord and God of all creation to be confined as a helpless babe. He had to be obedient to his earthly parents even though he was their creator and king. The very same parents that he was Lord over, he submitted himself to their care. It's very clear in this passage in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But listen to this. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. What does it mean that Christ emptied himself? It means that Christ became like you and me. Do you realize how humbling it must be for the Lord and God of all creation to stoop so low to become just like us, human beings? Notice the humility of Jesus, but we also see the humanity of Jesus. There's a lot of talk these days about the virgin birth controversy surrounding whether the virgin birth is absolutely necessary or if it's just kind of a, an addition that really isn't important. But in reality, the Bible teaches us that the virgin birth is absolutely necessary for the Son of God to be perfect and sinless. It short-circuits the sin nature that's passed on from earthly parents. This child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and in the end, ultimately, the Bible either is true in this regard, or how can we trust it in any, uh, any other point? 
You see, Christ was born and Christ had to come and He had to be human. There was no other way. Christ died on the cross for our sins as our human representative. He faced our death. He lived a life that we could not live. He died upon a cross that we deserve. And the Bible says He was acquainted with our suffering and our sorrow. He bore our griefs and He paid the price for our sins. You see, He was wrapped in cloths representing deity wrapped in human flesh. He was born in a stable. Again, no accidents in the Bible. Do you know where all sacrifices were born? They were born in stables. The lamb, the oxen, the animals that were prepared for sacrifice. Christ was born in a stable. He was placed in a manger, symbolizing the Lamb of God. The sacrifice has come. The Bible says He was placed in a manger. How fitting is it that there in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the bread of life was in a feeding trough, representing how He has come to provide for our greatest needs. The bread of life comes from the house of bread. This bread of life comes down from heaven and is broken for us on the cross. This birth changes everything. A day was dawning on the battlefield in northern France. Through a fog so thick that no one could even see a few yards in front of them. In the night the Germans had drawn back the lines and the French had gone forward but between the two positions there was this lonely farmhouse still standing. As the sun rose, heavy guns began to boom but suddenly on both sides all of the firing stopped. And in the midst of war, there fell a strange, deep silence. For there in the green meadow, as the fog lifted, crawling on its hands and knees, was a little baby. This little baby, in the midst of the battle, appeared perfectly happy and content. And the baby's laugh was heard as it clutched a dandelion. Not another shot was fired. The baby, the Lord Jesus Christ, stepped into the midst of our chaos. In between all of the sin and suffering that we encounter and all of the heartache and difficulty, and He chose to come as a little baby, virgin born, the Son of God, to suffer and to bleed and to die. And this baby has come to bring peace on earth. He is the Prince of Peace. His birth, the incarnation, His death crucifixion. You cannot consider the birth of Christ without considering the purpose of His birth. Why was Jesus born? And it's not so we can celebrate Christmas and open presents and decorate trees and have great food and spend time with family. Why was Jesus born? He was born to die. Christ sent His one and only Son. God sent His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we could experience hope and salvation. He came to die. Think about this. The manger made of wood where the baby lay on that day points to the cross made of wood where the Savior would hang and bleed. 
The cries heard from that little baby foreshadow the man upon the cross, crying out in agony and in pain. As the little baby yawns and stretches out his arms, it signifies that Christ will stretch out his arms on the cross and suffer and bleed and die. This baby is like no other. He was born to die, to save, and to redeem. He became a man. Flesh and blood, just like you, just like me. Christ even prayed, let this cup pass. But even more so, not my will, but yours be done. The Bible tells us in verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, knowing that that was his purpose and that was his plan, and that was the plan of redemption from the very beginning. The death of Christ on the cross was the most harsh and vicious and cruel form of punishment known to man. Yet as the nails were being driven into His tender flesh, the man upon the cross, have you ever thought about the fact that He was the one who was providing breath in the soldiers' lungs as they nailed Him on the cross? He was the one who created them in the first place. He was the one, the Bible tells us in Colossians, of Him, through Him, for Him, by Him, all things consist. He's the one allowing the world to spin. And allowing us to breathe the breath in our lungs and giving strength to the soldiers as they nail Him to the cross. The cross is the greatest expression of God's wrath against sin and His love for the sinner. People say, I don't understand how a God can be loving and just. How God can be gracious and wrathful. If you don't understand how God can show love and justice, love and judgment, the one place you need to look is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there at the cross, God shows us His greatest expression of wrath against sin, the crucified Son of God, and the price that must be paid so that we can experience redemption. There on the cross, we see the high price of sin. We see God's wrath. But on the cross, we also see the greatest expression of God's love. There on the cross, as Christ suffers, as He bleeds, as He dies, He's showing to you, to me, and to all the world His greatest expression of love. Forgiveness is available. Hope, restoration, and redemption. We see His death his crucifixion. Notice finally his glory, exaltation. We see this in verses 9 through 11 because this baby is completely and totally unique. Son of God, God the Son. Because of the death that he died upon the cross, offering hope, redemption, and salvation to all mankind, he will receive glory like no other. The Bible tells us in verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His glory. This baby born in Bethlehem, this man upon the cross is high and lifted up, and every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, the story doesn't end with his birth. The story's not over with his death. He rose again to conquer death, hell, the grave, all of his enemies. He lives forevermore. 
The Bible tells us here that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I tell you folks, it's not a question of if, but when. It's not a question of if, but when. When will we bow, recognizing His Lordship? We've been offered an opportunity in this life willingly to bow before the Lord Jesus as Savior and King. And to recognize His sacrifice on the cross for our sins that brings about our redemption. We've been welcomed to come and acknowledge His salvation. But the Bible says there will be a day when people will have no choice. Those who've rejected Him in this life. Those who've spurned Him. Those who say He does not exist. Those who believe in their own ingenuity or their own education or their own abilities or their own righteousness. The Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This baby born as, as a little meek and mild lowly Savior is King of kings and Lord of lords. My recommendation, as I implore you this morning from the Word of God, is to bow your heart and your head and your soul to Him now, recognizing that He is Lord and He is King and asking Him to be your Lord and King. You see, Christ was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, but He lives today so that He can be born in your heart again, new and fresh, and we can be born again. I want to do something interesting to finish. If you find a, a hymnal on your row, I want you to open it up. Last night, I ended with the greatest news ever told. The greatest news ever told. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. There's a hymn in your hymn book, number 270. And it's that song Joy to the world. Listen to these words. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Listen. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs implore, employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. Now go back and I want you to see His birth, His death, His glory, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now I want you to focus with me on verse 3. You know, as... As Baptists, sometimes we're guilty of singing the first, second, and last. Do you remember that, right? First, second, last. That third verse doesn't get a lot of attention. As we sing joy to the world, I think we sing every verse. But I want you to listen to this one. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. You know what happened when sin came into the world? The Bible says as sin entered the world, it didn't just curse humanity, it cursed the entire earth. 
This hymn is speaking of a day when God comes and makes all things new through the salvation, redemption, and reconciliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. He comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. How far did the curse spread? Every crack, crevice, and corner of creation. There is not a person There's not a place, there's not a spot, there's not a moment that hasn't been affected by the curse of sin. Yet God has come, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to make His blessings flow. How far? To every crack, crevice, and corner of creation. This God wants to bless you. To every person affected by sin, which is all of us, he comes in offering hope and redemption and salvation. This Christmas, remember, what is Christmas all about? And we can give the church answer. It's about the birth of Jesus. It absolutely is. But listen to this. It is about God reversing the curse of sin through the Lord Jesus Christ, making All things new. It begins in my heart and in yours. This child. What is Christmas all about? His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. 